question of personal anonymity at the public level. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. Thus, we respectfully ask that no AA speaker, or indeed any AA member, be identified by full name in published or broadcast reports or at our meetings. The assurance of anonymity is essential in our effort to help other problem drinkers who may wish to share our recovery program with us. And our tradition of anonymity reminds us that AA principles come before personalities. And the steps will be read by Margie. Hi, I'm, my name is Marv, that's with a V on the end, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Hi. Um, one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, and I'm shaking. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscience contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will and for the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Now, Stoney Ann will please read the t traditions. My name is Stoney. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine. AA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name 
ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Stoney. <clears throat> Just a little bit about myself. I qualify to be here. I had a problem with alcohol, and that's why I got in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard, had my first alcoholic blackout when I was 15 years of age. I had my last one when I was 55. So I had quite a little time of practice in between those particular birthdays. We have came up with this workshop deal, and we had, had hopes to get a lot of questions in the ask it baskets, but that didn't do so well, so we'll try to work on those questions. And then I would invite questions from the floor as we progress into this. This time I would like to speak to introduce the three panel members. And we have Charlie R., who will be one of the panel members. Charlie. Thank you, John. My name is Charles, and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to this particular session. Looking forward to having a real sharing session with you people today. My name is my topic. I beg your pardon. I've already told you my name, and the reason I wanted to tell you my name again because so many people don't know my name, and they... They call me by the wrong name, but I'll tell you more about that later. Fellowship in our program is, is something that is hard to describe, but it's such a wonderful thing to live. We in the fellowship of AA, it's kind of like being out in the forest and not being able to see the trees, but it's there. So a little later on, after we get rolling along, we would like to discuss a little more on fellowship. But at this time, I'd like to call on one of my fellow panel members, Lynn G. Hi, my name is Lynn. I'm the alcoholic. And it's really very nice to be here. This is our third time down here at uh, Scotch Bluff Jamboree. And... Uh, I was talking to some people this morning. We were discussing going out of town and out of our area to AA conventions or jamborees or meetings, and it's kind of like frosting on the cake. I qualify to be here, too. I started out um, in AA as an observer back in 1953. I was 12 years old at the time, and my mother had come into the program, and my father and I attended a lot of AA and Al-Anon meetings. We attended several state conventions in Oregon, and about the only thing that that really did for me when I got out on my own and started doing my own experimentation with alcohol I did realize in time that my drinking was not normal. I was having lunch with my, my ex-husband's secretary, and we were having our regular four or five martini lunch. 
And we were discussing the um, weekend before. This was a Monday noon. And we were all involved in the Elks Club, and we went up to the Elks Club every Saturday night to dance and drink. And I had blacked out. And it really hadn't been my first blackout, but I had about three or four kind of right in a row. And I mentioned this to her, and she kind of patted me on the hand and said, Well, honey, when you drink like we do, that's normal. Well, thank God for my AA and Al-Anon background, because I knew that wasn't normal, and I didn't like it. So my topic this afternoon is unity, and I hope that we will get quite a bit of response and questions from you. That's what will make this workshop a good one, is your participation too. And now the third member of the panel is Jim from Scotts Bluff. Hello everyone, I'm Jim, I'm an alcoholic. You know, last night uh, I was thoroughly enjoying myself at the uh, alcathon we had down here. And I saw a lot of people from different places, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, it's kind of neat, these people from Colorado all over who have come to share with us, to join in, in our jamboree this year, in the spirit of unity. And it's kind of neat to me the fact that even though some of those people, some of you people here today, I have never met on a personal basis, but the instant that you say, my name is so-and-so and I am an alcoholic, makes me feel in my inner self that I know you somehow, you know. Um, and I believe that that is due to the common problem that, which we share and which we're here today to share. Uh, somehow, through that common problem of alcoholism, I have found in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous that we're not so different as I one time thought as human beings either. You know, we come to relate, we can identify. Uh, as Charles was saying, he's, his topic today is unity, and uh, Lynn We'll be discussing fellowship, recovery. Turn around. Other way around. Okay. <laughs> anyway, unity, recovery. As I have come to understand the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, there are three legacies. These are two of those that our co-founders seen fit at one time to. turn over into bind this fellowship together. It has worked, uh, and it will continue to work, I believe. The third legacy that the program is about is service. Uh, I was introduced to service about uh, less than a year ago. I, in all honesty, didn't at that time know anything about service. I walked into the clubhouse one night, and they said, you're a GSR. Uh, I heard this gentleman here at uh, one of the 
state meetings one time say the same thing. What the hell is a GSR? Since then, I've learned, I continue to learn. There's a lot that I know I'll learn in the future. Uh, I believe that, that from the very day we walk in the doors of AA that we do have a responsibility. I believe at that time I am responsible to myself for my sobriety and I'm responsible to that group. And the third legacy in service, to me, kind of rounds out those, that triangle, which I understand is a symbol of strength. If we have a weakness in one area, then it affects the other and the other. But together, those three legacies hold us together and make it possible for our fellowship to continue to grow and at the same time carry the message to those who still suffer. Uh, there aren't any other members of the panel, so I can't turn it over to anybody else right now. So. Thank you, panel members. I have a question here that I got from the box, and it says I can't get the first step. Helpless over alcohol. I've had blackouts, DWIs, and other things. How do I get alcoholic from my head to my feelings? It says in the 12 by 12, do some more drinking, and I don't want to do that. First step of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that we were admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I was helpless with alcohol, and I knew that. I couldn't live with it, and I couldn't live without it. But my life wasn't unmanageable. I still was employed. I still had a house. I had a wife in that house. It had ceased to be at home, but still a little property involved and still someone there. And I woke up one morning and I couldn't stand to look at what I was seeing in the mirror because I was seeing myself in that mirror. So I was able to admit that I was powerless over alcohol. I went to a treatment center. And when I went to that treatment center, I wasn't an alcoholic, I was a drunk. I couldn't handle alcohol. But I wouldn't admit that my life was unmanageable. That particular time in my life, I guess I was willing to learn, but that counselor didn't make me do any more than memorize the first step. And he made me start to work on the second step said came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I wasn't crazy, I just drank too much. But if I wasn't crazy, how come that I had begun to pick up days without pay at my employment? And how come that I had DWIs? And how come that my children weren't very happy to see me when they had an affair of some kind? 
And how come I was still managing? Managing what? That was the question that was put to me. Managing what? So, in trying to do that second step, I had to admit that I wasn't managing very well. And then this counselor that I had also made me memorize the third step. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And I didn't understand all that that said, but it made sense. Because when that started to make sense, there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. So, by doing steps one, two, and three, in that order, I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol. I admitted that my life was unmanageable. And I came to believe and after I came to believe, I had to make a decision. And in making that decision, it was the only right thing that I had done in a long, long time. Because after I made that decision, my life began to get better and better. And for me to answer that question is I can't get the first step helpless over alcohol. All I can do is relate how it worked for me. And I hope that whoever asked that question goes through the steps, especially the first three, and does more than read the words, because there are more than just words there. There is much meaning. It's a real important step to me, those that know me well know that how just how much it meant to me because I lived on that step for four years now this uh, this is kind of amazing that it's true and probably to be more honest I only I lived on the first half of the first step I admitted I was powerless over alcohol but my life wasn't unmanageable like hell it wasn't but I wouldn't admit it. And to the person who submitted this question, I sincerely wish that he would really concentrate on that, but don't dwell on it as long as I did. Convince yourself that you are powerless over alcohol, if you so may be, and then keep right on moving, as John said. Get those first three steps in order, one, two, and three. But for God's sakes, don't get stuck on the first half of it. But if you have to get stuck on the first half of anything, that is probably as important a first half of any step to do in the book. It's the only way to get started in this program of recovery. And I, uh, I certainly hope that somewhere you say a prayer and get your thing about and get started and at least met the first half of the first step and so you can start your program. Well, to me, alcoholics are fantastic con artists. And I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time when I first came in the program trying to con myself. The first 
The first time that I had a flash of insight and I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol was when I got myself to my first AA meeting. And then I spent the rest, for about the first seven months, trying to talk myself out of the fact that I was an alcoholic. I had a terrible debate going on inside me because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. And I think probably the first time that I got the first part of the first step from my head down into my guts was the first time that I was really tempted to take a drink. When that temptation came, I really wanted to drink. But I'd been going to meetings and I had gotten myself a sponsor and I was doing what I had been told to do. And I believe that God kind of stepped in and I didn't drink. And I found I didn't really want to drink. And that surprised me. And each time that I have hit a crisis for me, when I have wanted to take a drink, and I do not, I call my sponsor, I go to a meeting, I do whatever I feel like I should do, and I don't take that drink, brings that step one down into my feeling level, into my guts, just a little bit more. So I don't know how long the person that wrote this question has been in the program, but my advice is if you don't have a sponsor, get one, and if you have one, use your sponsor, and keep coming to meetings. Don't worry too much about it. Try and develop a contact with your higher power, which is the first three steps, and it'll be okay. And one day, maybe like, like I, I realized, <clears throat> we talk about admitting and accepting. I had finally accepted the fact that I was an alcoholic when I didn't want or when I didn't take that drink when I wanted to. I think that for me, uh, I first got to go back to the three essentials that we have in this program. Let's spell the word how. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I personally was, I had to exhaust and to spend every bit of self-will that I had within me to be able to come to the realization and to get honest, to hit bottom for me. Now, bottom, when we... Uh, describe hitting bottom, I think for me, and I'm only talking for myself, that that was at the time when the inner fears within me became so great that I had no other choice or few. Uh, and through a lot of experience uh, at trying to control my drinking and uh, the insanity and in the places I ended up in and the things that alcohol did to me, I was finally able to concede to my innermost self. And I think that's important because about three years before I found the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would admit 
kind of haphazardly uh, that I couldn't control drinking. I couldn't uh, drink like everyone else. And the best way that I can uh, describe that, I guess, is that during that time, uh, like Lynn said, I did not want to be an alcoholic. Uh, the learning that uh, and the ideas that I had grown up with told me that an alcoholic was a uh, moral degenerate, so to speak, uh, a weak-willed person. So I continued to try to fight uh, to not to be something I was. Uh, it was like kind of a, a wart on the outside of my body. I kept trying to flick away, you know. Well, I can't control my drinking, but if, when, rationalizations, excuses, alibis. And I believe that first step is, for me, was total surrender. Uh, when I was able to get honest inside, get this out of my head, and for me that I had to experience a lot of hurt and pain, and once I got that down in here, it was like a surrender. I quit fighting the booze. Uh, the first half of that first step for me came uh, fairly easy. I kind of, um, John mentioned this uh, reading the words, I kind of read the second half of that and continued to try to work the other steps. I found for myself that uh, through a lot of the same type of growing experiences with trying to manage my life, uh, for a long, long time, for about eight months in this program, I had that second half up here in my head. I was in a lot of self-delusion. Uh, thought I was seeing what it said, but at the same time, I know today I was trying to manage things, to control things. I did not have a feeling of happiness, joyousness, and the feeling of being free inside of myself. And so I had to go back and take another look at that first step and surrender to that unmanageable life, which is still unmanageable. Today it is manageable with the help of God and you people only. Uh, I fully agree with what John said. Uh, there is a lot of hidden meaning. Uh, there's a lot of meaning behind or underneath those steps other than just the words themselves. And... Uh, This is an ongoing thing for me. I learn more about the steps every day. If I have, there again, those three essentials which are talked about in the big book, the honesty, the capability, and the ability to be honest, the open mind, and the willingness, and I think the willingness to take these steps uh, and not just memorize them or or uh, get so that I can speak them well, or, but they are meant to be took. And um, <clears throat> I take a step, and then I get comfortable as a result of taking a step. That's all.
Thank you. The theme of this jamboree is unity. And sharing is unity. I would welcome any remark from anyone here who would care to make a remark on or offer a suggestion on this question on the first step. I would entertain a question from the floor or an answer. And they talk about group participation. Thank you. Uh, I have another question here, and I want, I would like response from the assembled group on this. It says, how often should AA groups take an in-depth inventory? And rather than leave that directly to the panel members, I would ask for your thought on this, someone from the audience. Hi, honey. Any other suggestion or answer on this? I am not a dedicated authority or anything of this, but it has been my experience in answer to the question in my own words. It says, how often should AA groups take an in-depth inventory? I would say that this should be taken as you travel along. You get complacent when things go good. That's time to take an in-depth inventory. You get angry when things are going bad, and that's the time to take an in-depth inventory. If you want a smooth-running group, you want this inventory to be taken all the time. That's my thought. Then, would you care to say anything on it? Well, the 12 steps, you know, step 10 tells us to take a daily inventory. I don't, you know, I don't think a group can take a daily inventory, but I think that uh, if you have some people in the group that are aware of uh, what AA is all about, they can be kind of your barometer. It says in the, as Bill sees it, it's talking about a personal inventory, but it says to rebuild security. Uh, indeed, all alcoholics need to cross-examine themselves ruthlessly to determine how their own personality defects have demolished their security. And I think if, you're, if your group is having problems, a group inventory will help you to realize what kind of personality defects in the different members are demolishing the security of the group. I said my topic is unity, and unity is very important to me. I think it should be very important to everyone here simply because if AA were not unified and had not been unified and had not maintained its unity from the time of its beginning, we probably wouldn't be here. One of the things that I did learn 
when I came to AA, looking back at my first experience with Alcoholics Anonymous when my mother came in, was that AA is about the same as it was back in 1953, and that's good. And if we're going to be able to pass on this unity to our children and grandchildren, we're going to have to be aware of the dangers of conflicts amongst groups, conflicts inside groups, and this is where your inventory comes in. I, uh, I've only been in on one group inventory, and that was when I was a guest. We have a, a new group in Ogallala that we have established. I think we had our first meeting New Year's Eve, and it's about time that we got into a group inventory. If you get your group involved, you know, we talk about the 12 steps. We work the 12 steps. We need to start working the traditions, too, some of us. And if a group inventory needs to be taken, it should be taken along the lines and considered the 12 traditions, simply because without unity, we haven't really got anything to offer the newcomer. And if we're bickering and if we want personal, you know, Alcoholics are human, and we all like to control. I enjoyed a little Alateen this morning that talked about how she liked to control. I have a problem with that, too. I don't know if anybody else out there has that problem, but it's something that I have to work on continually. And I try very hard not to have personality conflicts with people in AA. And I'm successful most of the time. One of the things I've had to learn is tolerance. Tolerance toward myself and tolerance toward my family and tolerance toward people in AA. Because we don't always agree on certain issues. And that's okay because I think we need two different opinions sometimes or even more than that. And I'm not afraid to speak my opinion. And I hope that no one that is around me is afraid to speak their opinion either. And we can get some of these opinions and some of these feelings out in a group inventory. I've kind of been rattling, but I think a group needs to take an inventory whenever the group feels it's necessary or one or two members in the group feel it's necessary. It doesn't hurt me to take a daily inventory, and it certainly doesn't hurt a group to take a regular inventory. I do know one group that goes through the 12 steps. They have a, a step meeting a week, and then they go through the 12 traditions, and then they take a group inventory. Thank you. I was just scanning through as Bill sees it, and I relate to the group inventory with what is said on page 132, spot checking. Even though our group has never got around to take a group inventory, and I'm not very aware of it, but I think the spot checking, with your permission, I'd like to read it. A spot check inventory taken in the midst of disturbance can be a very great help in quieting stormy emotions. Today's spot check finds its chief application to situations which arise in each day's march. The consideration of long-standing difficulties had better be postponed when possible 
to times deliberately set aside for that purpose. The quick inventory is aimed at our daily ups and downs, especially those where people or new events throw us off balance and tempt us to make mistakes. I think probably as we go back in the middle of it, the consideration of long-standing difficulties had better be postponed when possible to times deliberately set aside. And I think probably this is what it might be meant by in-group inventories that on occasion this probably should be done because I know in our particular group and others that I have been exposed to from time to time have stormy situations arising in the group and uh, it caused for a lot of these off springs and uh, I think they're commonly called resentment groups and uh, I, I think probably if an inventory was proper, properly taken at a proper time in group it would shorten the, uh, the life or the, or the existence of a lot of these so-called resentments group and uh, which we can as a fellowship can uh, certainly do without especially when we, uh, we have such fine fellowship elsewhere without this uh, battered livelihood of, of group conscience well I believe that uh, you know a, a member once uh, related to me in regard to personal inventory uh, before I had taken inventory of myself that it's like carrying around an invisible trash bag full of junk over your shoulder you know? and he says you probably can't see that but everyone else can you know uh, and that's about the way it was I believe the same thing applies at the group level uh, I believe that better unity means for better service and better service means for better recovery. I think under the fifth tradition, uh, for our group purpose, there is but one primary purpose, uh, to carry this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Uh, the first tradition stresses unity. Our common welfare should come first personal recovery depends upon a, a unity. My personal recovery depends upon the unity and strength of my group. Everything that I am today is a result of God and you people. And if the unity of my group is faltering a little bit, you know, then so do I. I think it's important. The AA service manual here uh, which is made up also of suggestions from GSO and those suggestions are based upon the collective consciences of all the groups who are registered across the country with GSO. <clears throat> Each group through their general service representative, their GSR, meets with other GSRs at the district level, sharing the conscience and ideas of the groups they represent. This is taken up 
farther to the state level or area, and which is involved with the state committee, of which each district in the state uh, has a district committee member. And uh, that collective conscience is carried farther through the state get delegate to GSO. So all of their suggestions began right down here at the group level. This is why they encourage uh, groups to have a representative, so that each group can be a part of the collective conscience that keeps our fellowship whole. And then whatever goes up comes back down through the groups, through that GSR. That GSR is important. Uh, it's suggested in here that GSR be the uh, is usually the one who conducts that group inventory that we're speaking about. It is suggested uh, from the experience of most groups uh, that a bi-yearly or yearly, I believe, inventory is usually what most groups use. Um, <clears throat> I think at the same time, under Tradition 4, uh, each group should be autonomous. Each group has the right to run their own affairs, providing that it doesn't affect other groups or AA as a whole. Um, some groups may find it necessary to take this inventory more often. Some may be on a yearly basis, but nevertheless, I agree with the other two speakers that it should be taken at least once uh, a year or maybe twice a year. I think also one of the things of an inventory, you get people in your group if there is some dissent, dissatisfaction, power struggles, uh, bleeding deacons, all the kinds of stuff that you're in one room and you're sharing your feelings and you're, you're looking at the group just like the individual inventory, <clears throat> what, what is good and what needs to go. And you're getting it there and you don't have tradition breaks outside of the groups, gossip, people talking, you know, outside that can hurt not only the new individuals coming into the fellowship but the unity and all aspects of, of our fellowship. Those are my opinions. Um, Bill Wilson once said that uh, if if AA breaks up, uh, it will come with from within, not from without. Uh, <clears throat> and I believe these traditions protect us from ourselves. Uh, and those of you that have have been in the program enough to become fairly acquainted with the how it works, the 12 steps. I think there will be a time when you will uh, become aware of the why it works and see the importance of that too. Thank you, Jim. Again, I would request any comment from the attendance here, anyone who would like? Yes. I'm Bart Bogart, and I'm the alcoholic. Hi, Bart. And the three members of the panel all serve on the state committee and so forth. Uh, I wanted to ask 
cork. I, I think that's a great one. That's a really a good one. Like a gouge. I, I think probably in Grand Island last weekend that the uh, the people there did take the uh, committee's inventory. Uh, they put it into a dollar and cent thing and really, really counted our uh, our funds. But uh, I think probably when we have our state committee meetings, it, it has a tendency to to inventory ourselves and and we lay it on the line for those interested to, that do attend. And uh, of course. I lived on service for a number of years before I uh, got acquainted with the fellowship or the real program of AA, so uh, it's, uh, it's the fact that I thought my inventory was taken, uh, uh, kind of going along all the time, even though I wasn't paying attention to them. I like you, Corky. I got myself, I think, in a little hot water Sunday because I disagreed on something and I got up and said so. And uh, that's my privilege. No one in the room. Did I? Well, thank you. <laughs> I thought there for a while that I might be in a den of rattlesnakes. But uh, I don't think it would hurt. You know, what I would really like to see with the state committee is that maybe sometime we could have a closed session to sit down and get acquainted with one another, find out a little bit about each other and where we're coming from, um, that might eliminate some power struggles, might eliminate some personality conflicts. I don't like personality conflicts. I really don't. And I don't like them in AA, and I know they happen. And um, I have found...